0: Let's turn in God's Word this morning to Numbers chapter 23. Numbers 23. This records part of the history of the wilderness wanderings of the nation of Israel. They have made it up to the land occupied by the Moabites. And now there is this tension between the people of Israel and Balak, king of Moab. Numbers 23, And Balaam said unto Balak, Build me here seven altars, and prepare me here seven oxen and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had spoken, and Balak and Balaam offered on every altar a bullock and a ram. And Balaam said unto Balak, Stand by thy burnt offering, and I will go. Peradventure the Lord will come to meet me. And whatsoever he showeth me, I will tell thee. And he went to a high place. And God met Balaam, and he said unto him, I have prepared seven altars, and I have offered upon every altar a bullock and a ram. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return unto Balak, and thus thou shalt speak. And he returned unto him, and lo, he stood by his burnt sacrifice, he and all the princes of Moab. And he took up his parable and said, Balak, the king of Moab, hath brought me from Aram, Out of the mountains of the east, saying, Come, curse me, Jacob, and come, defy Israel. How shall I curse whom God hath not cursed? Or how shall I defy whom the Lord hath not defied? For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob, and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my last end be like his. And Balak said unto Balaam, What hast thou done unto me? I took thee to curse mine enemies, and behold, thou hast blessed them altogether. And he answered and said, Must I not take heed to speak that which the Lord hath put in my mouth? And Balak said unto him, Come, I pray thee, with me unto another place. From whence thou mayest see them, thou shalt see but the utmost or outermost part of them, and shalt not see them all, and curse me them from thence." And he brought him into the field of Zophim, to the top of Pisgah, and built seven altars, and offered a bullock and a ram on every altar. And he said unto Balak, Stand here by by thy burnt offering, while I meet the Lord yonder. And the Lord met Balaam, and put a word in his mouth, and said, Go again unto Balak, and say thus. And when he came to him, behold, he stood by his burnt offering, and the princes of Moab with him. And Balak said unto him, What hath the Lord spoken? And he took up his parable and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear. Hearken unto me, thou son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. God brought them out of Egypt, He hath, as it were, the strength of an unicorn. Surely there is no enchantment against Jacob, neither is there any divination against Israel. According to this time, it shall be said of Jacob and of Israel, What hath God wrought? Behold, the people shall rise up as a great lion and lift up himself as a young lion, He shall not lie down until he eat of the prey and drink the blood of the slain. And Balak said unto Balaam, Neither curse them at all, nor bless them at all. But Balaam answered and said unto Balak, Told not I thee, saying, All that the Lord speaketh, that I must do. And Balak said unto Balaam, Come, I pray thee, I will bring thee unto another place. Peradventure it will please God that thou mayest curse me them from thence. And Balak brought Balaam unto the top of Peor that looketh toward Jesheman. And Balaam said unto Balak, Build me here seven altars, and prepare me here seven bullocks and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had said, and offered a bullock and a ram on every altar. Thus far we read God's holy and inerrant words. May God add his blessing upon the reading of his holy scriptures. The text that God gives us to consider this morning is especially verse 21 of this chapter where Balaam says, He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who speaks the words of this text was... The wicked magician called Balaam. Balaam had been constrained by Balak, king of the Moabites, to come over and assist Balak and the princes of Moab. The reason that Balak had reached out to Balaam, and even offered him great sums of money, bribed him to come over, was that Balak, king of Moab, was afraid of the nation of Israel. We see that in the previous chapter, Numbers 22, verses 2 and 3, and Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was sore afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. And Moab said unto the elders of Midian, Now shall this company, Israel, lick up all that are round about us as the ox licketh up the grass of the field. Desperate for some way to guard himself against what Balaam feared would be the destruction of his nation by the Israelites, he reached, reached out for some help. He did not reach out to Jehovah God, but reached out to a man who was renowned for his magical abilities. It was presumed that if Balaam, this magician, would pronounce a blessing upon someone then that blessing had power and indeed that individual or group of people would be blessed. But, on the other hand, if Balaam pronounced a curse upon an individual or upon a group of people, then it was presumed that there would be power in that curse and that those people would be destroyed as a result of it. So Balak... Constrained Balaam to come curse Israel. And here we see an example of the Almighty, the Sovereign, the irresistible power of God. God used sinful, evil Balaam hired by sinful, evil Balak not to curse the nation of Israel, but to bless them. Balaam admitted, the only thing I can do is say what the Lord gives me to speak. But Verse 12, Must I not take heed to speak that which the Lord hath put in my mouth. And then he went on to give the pronouncement, which is our text this morning, verse 21, He, God, hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. Let's consider these words this morning under the theme, God's not beholding iniquity. First, we will ask the question, can it be true? And then second, finally, we will see the reason for it. Words of this text are a remarkable statement made by God through Balaam declaring the holiness of of the nation of Israel. In this verse, Jehovah God pronounced His verdict, His judgment upon the Israelites. It was a verdict of no small significance for the Israelites. It was a verdict that would have everlasting consequences for them. Either the Israelites would be pronounced by God as a holy nation or as an unholy nation. It was going to be either one of two outcomes for this verdict. Either God would look down upon them and God would find them to be righteous, or God would find them to be Corrupt. Either God would find this nation to be worthy of life everlasting, of covenant fellowship and communion with Jehovah God, or God would look down upon this nation wandering in the wilderness, and God would judge them to be unworthy of any of His blessings, but that they must be condemned to everlasting destruction. Who pronounced this verdict? Although Balaam was the one speaking, it was God who controlled his tongue, and it was God, Jehovah, who pronounced this verdict. Jehovah, who is the all-wise and the all Knowing God, who looked down upon the Israelites from where? From His vantage point in heaven. Psalm 14, verse 2, The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. As Jehovah God looked down upon the Israelites and evaluated them, He looked upon them as one The one whose eyes behold everything. There were no secrets that the Israelites would be able to keep from this God. Hebrews 4 verse 13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and opened Unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Who is the one being evaluated? Who is the object? The text identifies the object of this evaluation with two names. Jacob and Israel. He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob. Neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. Two different names used here, both of which refer to and emphasize the fact that it was the covenant nation. Covenant names of Jacob and Israel. It was the covenant people who were under the scrutiny of Jehovah God. And when we see, beloved congregation, that it was the covenant nation that was being evaluated by Jehovah God, then you see that you and I are included in the ones being evaluated by God. Who is Jacob? Who is Israel? It's you. And it's me. Galatians makes clear the unity that exists between the Old Testament nation of Israel and the New Testament church of Jesus Christ. Galatians 3, verse 29, And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. God searches and God knows your heart, your mind, and your will. And what will God's verdict be? What would your verdict be if you were to evaluate yourself after a week of self-examination? Would your verdict be that you are holy? That you are righteous? That you are in every respect conformable to the holy law of God? Would your reflection upon yourself be that you find no iniquity and no perverseness within you? But that's the Word that God had for Israel. And that's the word that God has for you and for me today. He, God, hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The conclusion of God's evaluation of the nation of Israel was not that they were guilty, but that they were innocent. Not that they were corrupt, but that they were righteous. Not that they were worthy of being condemned into everlasting perdition, but that they were worthy heirs of the grace of life. And so then we face the real and the practical question, how can it be that Jehovah God would give a verdict Like this, how could it be that Jehovah, the I Am that I Am, who sits enthroned in the heavens and who from His vantage point looks down upon the sons of men and who beholds everything that happens here below, how could Jehovah God possibly say of Old Testament Israel, I behold no iniquity within you. There's no perverseness in this land. It wasn't the case, it certainly could not have been the case, that God was unaware of any wickedness that had been committed by the Israelites. Moses acknowledged in Exodus 16 verse 8 that God had heard their murmurings against him. When they grumbled about the lack of food in the wilderness and then subsequently complained about the manna that was given to them day after day. And now God says, He beholds no iniquity. God knew what Korah, Dathan, and Biram did in the rebellion that they led against the leaders that God appointed in Israel? God opened the earth to swallow them up. And now He says there's no perverseness? God knew that there were marriage problems in Israel. Two chapters later, the Israelites are going to be guilty of committing whoredoms with their enemies, the Moabites. God knew that there was a lack of trust in Him, that they were by nature a rebellious people, and that there was always the carnal element found within this nation. And yet God said of Israel, I behold no iniquity. And if we struggle, beloved, to see how this could be true of Old Testament Israel, then how much more so do we not struggle to see how this could be true for us? We have our sins, and God knows of those sins. And our sins are not so different from the sins that Old Testament Israel struggled with. They complained and they murmured about the manna that God sent from heaven. And sometimes we murmur about the weekly spiritual nourishment that God gives in the preaching. Korah led a rebellion against the leaders, the elders... Of Israel, And sometimes we think within ourselves that the elders aren't doing a very good job. And if only they would be doing a better job of ruling over the people. And then the Israelites had marriage problems. So much so that they began to commit whoredoms with the wicked world. And who can say that he or she has always contained his or her thoughts in purity? The Israelites struggled with a lack of trust in Jehovah God, doubting at almost every step of the way whether God would take care of them, and who can say that they have had Day by day, week by week, such steadfast and immovable trust in Jehovah God that never once have they doubted whether God would provide for them. We know our sins, and God knows our sins perfectly. And yet, God says, I behold no iniquity in Israel. Can it be true? And then the devil comes along, does he not? And the devil begins to tempt us to doubt God's Word. The devil is okay if you make a general consent to the truths found in the Scriptures. But what the devil does not want you to do is to believe the specific application of of the Word of God unto your lives. The devil is fine if you confess that God is God and even make some confessions about the sovereignty and deity of Jehovah God, but what the devil does not want you to do is to believe that God views you as righteous. And so he plants seeds of doubt. And what the devil would have you do and what our nature would do is perhaps we would begin to think that God is being deceptive here. That God is not revealing the whole truth. He's not not telling everything here to the Israelites. Maybe parents do this sometimes out of a motive of love out of a care for their children, they ask a child to clean the room, and the child goes and cleans the room, and then mom comes and evaluates the cleanliness of the room. And mom, out of a love for the child, tells the child, you've done an excellent job, great work in cleaning up this room. It looks fantastic. But then after the child goes out of the room, what does mom do? She tidies up the room more, to her standards. Out of a love for the child and not wanting to hurt the child, the mother withholds information from that child so that the child is not overmuch discouraged. Is that the idea here, beloved? That yes, God has access to more information, God knows more things, but simply out of a desire not to hurt us, because God loves us and deals with us in a gentle way, God is going to withhold some information from us and, and just, just tell us something that isn't quite in full accordance with truth. That I behold no iniquity in Jacob. Is that the case? Is God being deceptive with us? It cannot be the case, beloved. Beloved. God is lying? Two verses prior, Balaam testifies of the trustworthiness of God. Verse 19, God is not a man that He should lie, neither the Son of Man that He should repent. Can it be true that as Jehovah God looks from the heavens, His verdict, is I behold no iniquity in Jacob it is true beloved and here's the reason for it the reason given in the second half of verse 21 the Lord his God is with him And the shout of a king is among them. It is because God was with Israel that as God beheld that nation, God declared to that nation that they were righteous in His sight. God's presence and His nearness unto the nation of Israel was nothing new. But God had been with the Israelites for Hundreds of years already as a nation. Over 400 years ago, God had come to their father, Abraham. And God had told Abraham that He would establish a covenant with them and that God would be their God. And God kept His word and God remained with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. God went with them even when they became captives down in Egypt. God was with them during that 400 years of captivity. And then God was with them in that mighty deliverance out of Egypt. God was with them as they went through the Red Sea. God was with them with that pillar of cloud by day and that pillar of fire by nighttime, leading the Old Testament Israelites. God was with them there in the Ark of the Covenant. Where the Israelites in a special way sense the nearness of Jehovah God unto them. The Lord, his God, is with him. But still, beloved, we can struggle to understand how. How does that answer the question? The difficulty is. How does the God who knows everything, as he evaluates Israel, conclude that there is no sin in them? How is it the case that God, being with them, answers that question? Is it not this, beloved? because God is with them, when God conducts this examination, He is evaluating His own self. That's why God could say of Old Testament Israel, I behold no iniquity in Jacob, and there's no perverseness in Israel. It's because God was with them. God dwelt with them as the covenant God. And as the God who was near unto them and who was in them by His Holy Spirit, as God then looked down upon the nation of Israel, God was evaluating and was judging Himself. And the question was this, was God upright? Was God pure? Was God faithful unto His Word? The context makes clear here that the existence and the preservation of Israel as a nation depended upon Jehovah God. The Lord God is with, his God is with them, and the shout of a king is among them. God brought them out of Egypt. He, God, hath as it were the strength of an unicorn. Surely there is no enchantment, no curses against Jacob, neither is there any divination against Israel. According to this time, it, sh- it shall be said of Jacob and of Israel, What hath? God wrought." That's the exclamation of the saint. Not what have I wrought, but what has God wrought? What has He done in me and through me? What has He done on my behalf through the incarnation, the suffering, and the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. Has God been faithful unto His Word? God's Word was that He would redeem unto Himself a nation. That He would make a great nation out of them. God's Word to Abraham was, I'm going to give you a rich land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God's Word was, I am going to give this land unto you as a gift. Not because you worked for it, not because you are worthy of it, but as a gracious and a free gift I will bestow this land unto you. And so that's the question then that we consider this morning. Is God faithful to His Word? Your coming to the Lord's table this morning depends not upon your faithfulness to Jehovah God, but depends upon the presence and the faithfulness of God in and to you. Is God with you? And is God in you? If God is with you and in you, then the word is, come. Come to the Lord's table and partake of that heavenly meat and drink, whereby we are given the assurance of the forgiveness of our sins for Jesus' sake. How do I know that God is with me and in me? can't see Him. He sees us. He evaluates us. We can't see Him with our human eyes. It's by faith. Faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. By faith, we know that God is with us and that God is in us. Faith, which leads me to see my sins and convicts me of them. Faith, which leads me to be sorry for my sins. Not merely sorry for the consequences, oftentimes painful, though they are, but sorry because I have sinned against the God who is with me. Faith that brings me from the knowledge of my own sins to the foot of the cross, where by faith I look up and I behold my precious Lord and Savior. Faith. Which believes that Jesus is the Son of God who drank that cup of wrath even to the bitter dregs. Faith. Which believes that I am and forever shall remain a living member of the one Church of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, if our heart condemn us is so frequently it does. And may we remember thy word, that thou art greater than our hearts, and that thou dost know all things. Wilt thou fill us with the promised comforter? May we be, for Jesus' sake, worthy partakers of this heavenly meat and drink. Amen. Let us now turn in the back of our Psalters to the form for the administration of the Lord's Supper found on page 91.